0: Hi, this is Robert Cahoon. So today we're looking at the secrets to happy marriages. Fulfillment, fidelity and fruitfulness. So family is important to God and he's got a unique plan and purpose for every family. And the best way to discover what plan entails is put Jesus at the centre of our family life. John Paul II said that God's purpose for family is that it be a school of love. it be an environment where members of the family can love, be loved by another. So there's a guy called Gary Chapman. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Millions of copies sold. Uh, And this book, it shows how there's five different ways of showing love. Each one of these ways is good in and of itself, but in order for a family to truly grow together, all five of them should be present in some form. So these five ways are number one, Quality family time. This time is for full and undivided attention. Can be both serious and fun. It might include meals, prayers, and outings. Number two, positive speech such as Virgil. Positive speech, so verbal compliments, affirmations, appreciations, are powerful communicators of love. They bring honor, respect, and acceptance. Um, Frequent put downs such as sarcasm can bring pain and self doubt. Forgiveness helps to avoid tension saying I'm sorry and I forgive you are very useful. Politeness is also useful and indispensable for making living together easier. And number three, gifts, visible symbols of loves. And the thought behind the gift is the most important thing. The gift of faith is the greatest gift we can give one another. It's free and will last an eternity. So the major I bring Jesus gifts at his birth, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Who knows what Jesus would have done with these gifts? Um, and gifts are not a substitute or a replacement for other ways of showing love for example we might get amazing christmas presents but not have other ways of uh, the five ways that gary chapman describes so physical church is a way of communicating emotional love hugs pats on the back hand on the shoulder other more intimate expressions are ways to show how we care for each other and number five is service jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served he washed the feet of dis- his disciples to show how far he was willing to be a servant. Service is doing something you don't want to do in order to make life easier for somebody else. So, God wants to be number one in our families. Um, as a communion of persons, the future of humanity passes by way of the family. So, a youth minister called Brian Butler in the US once told his fiance he, wanted, the fiance, he wants to put God first, her second, and himself last in the relationships in his life. She wasn't too happy to hear this. She wanted to be number one. But we have to ask, what does Jesus want for our family? St. Paul says that we should fill our minds with everything that's true, everything that's noble, everything that's good and pure, everything that we love and honor and everything that we can thought of as virtuous and worthy of of praise. That's from Philippians Philippians 4.8. So how do I find love? The call to love so deeply embedded within us that its expression permeates our very culture. There's hundreds of songs and tunes, dating clubs, jewellery stores, selling engagement rings prior to weddings. Not only this, cool to love entrenched in our society, it's stamped onto the body too. And our very bodies have been designed as a gift for others. By living not just for ourselves, we can give life, both physically and spiritually, to others. You know, Our bodies are stamped with an itching desire. We might have a desire for greatness, a desire to love and be loved, a desire to be honourable, and also sexual desire too. These desires in and of themselves are good. And our hearts are a battlefield between love and physical attraction. In the act of the will, decisions are made what to do, where to go, whom to talk to. These choices create the moral fabric of where good meets evil in our lives. What seems like love can be a distortion or perversion by the enemy of love, which is selfishness. We can be tricked into thinking that selfish act for ourselves is actually a kind and loving act. This battlefield is full of the captains of self-delusion. So the body speaks a language. A man in a defensive posture gives off the impression he's not open to what is being spoken about. Woman with skimpy clothes sends a message she's available and wishes to flaunt herself. Ham with a wedding ring communicates love until death. Commitment to a beloved. The native language of the human heart is truth. And C.S. Lewis said that the love is the greater conqueror of lust. So what about good communication in relationships? So according to this priest, Father Michael Ryan talks about positive moments and comments in relationships such as marriage should outnumber the negative ones by five to one. Our capacity to tolerate negativity has a very short fuse. Uh, In his book, The Last Straw, Ways to Overcome Stumbling Blocks in Communication Towards a Stronger and Happier Marriage, he states that we must avoid hurting others in every way, such as words or actions. We must also foster an atmosphere in which one can express to the other what is hurting then we must also accept the fact that we can hurt others when we don't intend to. He states that a happy marriage has the following character traits. Couples spend quality and quantity time together. They know how to express affection for each other. They show commitment to family life. They can discuss in a constructive way and they share spiritual values. Sometimes marriages can break up because of misunderstandings that could have been avoided. To look for help is not a sign for weakness, but a sign of wisdom. What builds up relationships and what hinders them? The church has consistently implored the world to focus on families as the root of and foundation of society. Tightly knit faithful Catholic families a domestic church in themselves have the potential to influence whole communities. The building of patience, unconditional love and forgiveness are indispensable virtues in marriage. Communication and conflict resolution are also essential skills in the marriage. Love is a choice and not just a feeling. And relationships help you discover your own goodness. Good and satisfying relationships are developed by men and women who have a focus of being a friend. Success in relationships is measured by what you do in them, not how by the other person responds. And relationships are a gift, not a right. And healthy relationships are built on love, service, honour, acceptance, forgiveness, submission and encouragement. Certain attitudes and behaviour hinder relationships, mistrust, perceptions, expectations, irritability, blame, self-pity, being judgmental and critical. Being unreliable, under communicating, jealousy, envy, conditional love and letting your choice to love become a burden that can all help create destructive relationships. So what about cohabitation? Is this a good way to test your marriage beforehand? Most studies don't really seem to show this and the sociology department of both Duke University and Michigan University interviewed 30,000 couples who married after living together. And the sociologist found that 80% of the marriages arising from cohabitation ended in separation or divorce. With an 80% failure rate, indicate that a cohabiting couple usually does not get to know each other so well. Living together offers little or no guarantee of a happy, successful marriage. And that's from cohabitation is a dishonest relationship by Ed Cunningham in the Courier, 2002, from Family Foundations. Freedom without responsibility is the opposite of love and the greater the sense of commitment the more a person is willing to give of themselves and this is an indispensable requirement for marriage the more often and the longer that men and women can have it the more likely they are to divorce later more than half of these unions dissolve within five years according to one study cited by the vanier institute of the family typically they last about 18 months cohabitants are more likely to be unfaithful. They're also much more likely to suffer from depression than married people and children born to cohabitants are far more likely to experience disruptions in their family life with the inevitable mental and psychological upheaval. Those who think that marriage is some kind of legal contract will be far more willing when difficulties come to bail out and emphasize the conditionality of the contract. Living together prior to marriage sets a bad precedence. In reality is the dissolution of traditional boundaries surrounding marriage Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be honoured among all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. for God will judge the immoral and adulterers. Living together disregards the sanctity of the marriage bed because it's already occupied beforehand. Living together dissolves that important time of discernment and preparation prior to marriage, helping couples decide whether it's healthy and good for them to live together for the rest of their lives. Marriages can't be test-driven because one can only enter it with good faith and good hope. There's no dress rehearsal because a true marriage can't be undone. Engagement is the time to set solid foundations to help the strength of marriage. Build up trust, cooperation and fidelity and companionship. Cohabitation undermines this trust because both partners are aware that it's perfectly possible for them to bail out at any point. And cohabitation is not a good preparation for marriage. It does not involve the building up of the virtues. Rather, it's an exercise in convenience rather than purity and true love. So, There's a guy called J.D. Unwin, an anthropologist in the 1930s, discovered that sexual license is always the immediate cause of cultural decline. He found that human records, there's no instance of a society retaining its energy after a complete new generation has inherited a tradition which does not insist on premarital and extramarital continents. In every verifiable case, he found that once a group became sexually permissive, the energy of society decreased and finally disappeared. Essentially, what's at stake over the culture wars over marriage and family is the healthy continuation of our society. He found that societies would collapse if they became too sexually permissive because fewer and fewer citizens were concerned with the building up of the next generation and the righteousness of society. So what is the point of marriage? In his great book, Marriage and the Mystery of Faithful Love, von Hildebrand discusses the nature of conjugal love. He believes it requires a decision, a risk, and self-giving. The lover cares more for his beloved than for his own love. A marriage is made in the decision of two persons. The only authentic reason for this mutual love and a belief in the commitment will lead to the eternal welfare of both spouses. Marriage invites us to fight selfishness. Couples are called to save the precious gift of their love by victory over self. He who refuses to commit fools himself. A trial marriage is a stupidity of unspeakable shabbiness. But not every single person is called to marriage. There are some who are called to be single, those who decide to remain virgins, called to fill their hearts with the most intense and vital love. Von Hildebrand applies a warning to them. Woe to those in a superior status who instead of becoming more ardent and more sensitive are affected by a certain hard-heartedness which removes them further from God than they originally approached him with their renunciation. Dietrich von Hildebrand stated that procreation was the primary end of marriage, while love was its meaning. Wedded love, he said, is what ennobled sex, which seems to be saying that if procreation is the final cause of marriage, married love is its formal cause. To be in a marriage is to be a guardian of the other person's solitude. When a couple marries, they find that, though they may not be aware of them, there's a series of sequential psychological tasks to address together. Achieving these tasks help the couple to deal with the inevitable major changes, accidental or developmental, that will occur and have the potential for weakening or reinforcing the relationship throughout the marriage. Marriage helps us to overcome being selfish, being self-absorbed hedonists, by helping us to to others by mutual aid and self-giving so is sexual desire good or bad sexual desire is a good and natural thing a desire to be sexually attractive and good lover are good things to be a slave to your sexuality is not a good thing sexuality is a precious gift and many of us need to reclaim from the distortion and manipulation what what it has been turned into the sad reality is people have received sexual formation from unreliable sources such as the media schoolyard gossip or pornography some people have had purity and innocence taken away by sexual abuse. If our sexuality is twisted, it will take time to untie the knots, but it's it's something we must offer ourselves fully in a relationship. To give oneself entirely. our sexual desires need to be in good order. The quest for purity is a battle, regardless of your past, um, whether that's pornography, masturbation, fantasies, homosexuality, sexual abuse, making out. You can turn around and reclaim your sexuality and your purity through patience and perseverance. The support of other men and women pursuing the same goal is also very helpful. C.S. Lewis once described sex outside marriage as a monstrosity because it's an attempt to isolate one kin of union sexual from the other types of union. Christianity does not hold anything against sexual pleasure, but one should not isolate pleasure by itself in the same way that you wouldn't isolate the pleasure of eating from digestion. Lewis dispelled the notion that falling in love is an event that's entirely out of our control Books, films and television are responsible for promoting this type of propaganda. Lewis wrote that it's extremely dangerous to take one impulse to set it up as the only thing to follow at all costs. So what hormones are released in sexual activity? Powerful hormones are released in the brains of men and women that produce lasting bonds with their partner during sexual activity. The most influential hormones are oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin is a hormone that's released during childbirth and nursing that causes the mother to bond with her infant. It is also released during sexual activity and acts like an emotional superglue between partners. And you can read that in The Female Green by Luan Brizendine from Manton Press in 2006. Both men and women have oxytocin and release it during sexual activity. Women are more affected by oxytocin and also by vasopressin. Vasopressin enables a man to bond with his partner and gives him a protective instinct towards his partner and children. This bonding effect of sex can be compared to a duct tape taping a couple's arm together. If you can imagine ripping off that tape, then using the same tape to apply the tape to a new person's arm. With switching partners several times, skin and hair left on the tape reduces the adhesiveness of the tape, and it does not stick as easily. The same is true of sex. Research shows the ability to bond and reduce oxytocin is damaged by the stress hormones at a breakup. So just like the remains on that duct tape, previous sexual experiences damage the ability to bond correctly. Oxytocin levels can return to normal if sexual activity is stopped and time is given for physical and emotional healing. But what if the duct tape was never removed? The duct tape would begin to feel like part of the arm and the adhesion would be strong. When a couple waits until marriage to have sex, oxytocin and vasopressin increase the biological bond between husband and wife. So what other chemicals are involved in sexual intercourse? We've known about sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen for years. They're responsible for establishing our sexuality, which is quite different from the concept of love. Pheromones, which are olfactory or smelly substances can be partially responsible for initially attracting a man to a woman or vice versa. That initial giddiness that comes from when we're first falling in love is associated with a racing heart, flushed skin and sweaty palms. This is due to the release of chemicals dopamine, neurandroline, and phenylithamine. Dopamine and phenylithamine, which is contained in chocolate, are the pleasure chemicals, producing feelings of bliss and well being. Neurandroline produces a racing heart and feeling of excitement. Researchers have used functional MRI scans of the brain to watch what happens when somebody looks at a photograph of their loved one. The scan shows increased blood flow to areas of the blame with high concentration of dopamine receptors, which are associated with states of euphoria, craving and also addiction. There's also increased flow to the nirandrolene receptors, which cause heightened attention and short term memory, hyperactivity and promote goal oriented behaviour. In other words, couples in this stage of love focus intently on the relationship and often <clears throat> on little else. However, with time, this change affects, this effect changes. As I think we all know, our relationship matures, love deepens, begins to mean other things to us. Endorphins, the body's natural painkillers, are also released during sex. They play a key role in long-term relationships by producing a general sense of well-being, including feeling soothed, peaceful and secure. What are some different family models? Many social scientists have devised different models for looking at the family, Carl C. Zimmerman, author of Family and Civilization, describes three separate understandings of the family: trustee, domestic, and atomistic. The trustee family considers itself immortal, living in union with those who've come before them. The present members are just trustee, trustees of the blood, name, and position of their kin for the lifetime before they must hand on their heritage. This type of family sees itself as never being extinguished. And only societies that have been based on the trusty family have been able to develop into civilizations. The domestic family is a unit based on the union of husband, wife and children. There are family duties as well as individual rights to consider in this model. In the atomistic family, individuals have more importance than the family ties as it exists for the individual's pleasure. All three models have a very different understanding of marriage in the family. The trusty family considers a mystical reality and sacred covenant the Domest domestic family believes marriage and family is a moral traditional contract. The atomistic family sees marriage and family as a convenient means of companionship or a cocoon from which to escape from. Children are for the trustee family a blessing from God, indispensable economic agents, or the domestic family and economic liabilities, expenses and obstacles to personal fulfilment for the atomistic family. A father is a patriarch and a priest king for the trustee family, a CEO of society's fundamental economic unit for the domestic family, and for the atomistic family, a pathetic figure who must be left (laughs) behind in order for an individual to grow. Perhaps most strikingly, sexual immorality is for the trustee family, a criminal act, an individual sin for the domestic family and a private matter choice or alternative lifestyle for the atomistic family. A society which has reached the atomistic family stage has shown signs that it's in ultimate decline. When individual rights trump the rights of the weakest in society, there's potential for grave consequences. The weakest in society will be crushed by the strongest. Zimmerman shows the transition from domestic to atomistic family happens relatively fast as the ties that link to future to the past are severed. For many, family life in Britain closely resembles the atomistic family Legal decisions and often places individual choices higher than family rights. The legal recognition of civil partnerships, the abolition of a need for a father for IVF treatment and the widespread culture of promiscuity have contributed towards a culture of death. Overwhelmingly, research shows that the traditional family unit is the healthiest and happiest society which to be brought up in. A society that continually undermines marriage and the family is one that is bound to self-destruct. As a fundamental pillar and bedrock of society, family life must be supported and nurtured for the well-being of society. So let's have a look at preparation for marriage. Many people are willing to spend hundreds of hours in preparing for their own wedding day, but far less time actually preparing for their marriage. So the aim of this talk is to bring about the success of future marriages. Many people think that the church is entirely negative about sex. They understand the mentality. If it feels good, then definitely don't do it. Few people actually think that following the Ten Commandments is actually something that's going to bring them happiness. But God has placed clues about human sexuality all around so that our joy may be um, complete. Marriage can be highly romantic. Couples who pray together have higher sexual satisfaction. God's first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply, to have sex. In Genesis 1.28, we read, be fruitful and multiply. The world does not want you to think about sex, only to dream, crave, slave for it. God intended sex to be marriage vows made flesh. It's possible to say your va- mar- wedding vows with your body. These vows are promised to be free, holding nothing back, total, a true gift, faithful, exclusive and permanent, and fruitful, open to life. The world looks to thwart these promises, making sex restricted or forced, temporary, disloyal and sterile. The theology of the church is not imposed on anyone, but it's the total uncovering of God's original design. When we realise how generous God has been, with us that we have a lover, it's time to return that favor of generosity. After all, God can never be outdone in generosity. Preparation for marriage is not something that happened several months prior to the wedding. Now is the time to build a happy and successful foundation of marriage. The beauty of purity and clarity of mind is something that holds stead, good stead for the rest of one's life. Trust and self-control are things especially needed when both close and far from your wife. Purity with practice is certainly a challenge. To be ready for the huge gift of one spouse will not leave you empty handed at the altar, will help you come with a gift to give to Jesus. And chastity is not something caught, but something caught, not taught. Abstinence is the lack of sexual activity. In and of itself, it's not a virtue, simply abstaining from the action. Some people might be abstinent because they've chosen to, others because they cannot get a date. It tells us little about the spiritual state of a person chastity on the other hand is a positive virtue to be thought of only in association with love chastity stems from the latin adjective castus which means pure chastity is about living an integrated well-balanced life it respects the fact that sex is sacred and a great gift from god all christians are called to chastity whether married single or celibate this great virtue gives purity in mind heart and conscience, prepares our souls for love Only the chaste man and chaste woman are capable of true love. This virtue gives us self-control, spiritual strength, and a certain path to happiness. Marriage is one of the great images on earth of God's love. St. Paul states how this union is a mystery of how two become one flesh. In the Catholic Church, there are two sacraments where a person becomes a sacrament. In the Eucharist, Christ becomes a sacrament. In marriage, the will of two people make a sacrament. St. Francis de Sales said that marriage is the greatest form of mortification on earth, but it can uh, be something that will save us from ourselves. But God shows couples with dollops of grace in order to live out marriage. If we are in a state of sin, we do not receive these graces in order to live out marriage. So what about the the book of Song of Songs? St. Thomas Aquinas asked to have the book of Song of Songs read to him on his deathbed. It's a book that contains erotic love poetry. Many rabbis in the past were not allowed to read the material for fear that it might offend their ears. The book starts with a yearning for an embrace. Oh, that you would kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. The writing oozes with scintillating analogies, similes and cravings as the author is sick with love. The image of love is vivid and alive as the writer proclaims. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag and your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. The author's heart is ravished for the sake of his beloved, whom he also calls a sister and bride. The author lovingly describes his lover's anatomy in a litany of praise. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. For those who are reluctant to read the Bible because they perceive it to be boring, this book is an introduction for sure. The topic of human sexuality is of immense importance and interest to many people. Despite this, there's a huge degree of ignorance on the issue partly due to poor teaching, misinformation over many decades. If we spread the truth and meaning about human sexuality to others, ignorance and misinformation will not last much longer. So natural fertility awareness is a beautiful gift. It's the ability to educate, empower, enhance marriage and family life. That's why couples that use contraception in their marriage typically have a divorce rate of 40%, while couples from all denominations who use NFP have a divorce rate of 2%. There is a wonderful story in the book of Tobit. Tobit prays that he may not have an ability, that he may have nobility in his marriage because it's based on stable foundations. So he has this wondrous bedtime prayer. This is from Tobit, chapter eight. When the girl's parents left the bedroom and closed the door behind him, Tobias arose from bed and said to his wife, my love, get up, let us pray and beg our Lord to have mercy on us and grant us deliverance. She got up and they started to pray and beg that their deliverance might be theirs. He began with these words, blessed are you, O God, our fathers. Praise be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation praise you forever. You made Adam and you gave him his wife Eve to be his help and support. And from those two the human race descended, you said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let us make a partner like himself. Now, Lord. You know that I take on this wife of mine, not because of lust, but for a noble purpose. Call down your mercy on me and on her and allow us to live to a happy old age. And they said together, Amen, Amen. So let's have a look at natural fertility awareness. This isn't meant to be a full guide about natural fertility awareness. Um, If you wish to find out more, I recommend you book a relatively inexpensive arrangement with a natural fertility awareness practitioner or or NFP. So NFP is a natural method of family planning that's highly reliable medically safe inexpensive the understanding of how the body works is a great act of self-discovery when nat- natural family planning or natural fertility awareness understands fertility not as something to be suppressed or manipulated but as a normal bodily function NFP shares it encourages a shared responsibility fertility between husband and wife this normally leads to a deeper level of care and respect in relationship NFP rep- rep- promotes love, respect, and communication between a husband and wife and prepares them for future children. NFP respects the design of the body, leads to a deeper intimacy, encourages self-respect and self-worth. In the words of Paul VI, NFP favours attention for one's partner, helps both parties to drive out selfishness, the enemy of true love, and deepens their sense of responsibility. NFP couples are less likely to divorce, be more receptive to children, and they renew their wedding vows each time they practice the marital act. Most strikingly of all, NFP is more effective than any method of contraception at preventing pregnancy and is equally as effective as IVF in achieving pregnancy. Natural family planning involves women checking her fertility by observing simple signs such as changes in cervical mucus and temperature on waking. As a woman can only conceive for a short time each month, the knowledge of when this phase happens enables the couple to avoid or achieve pregnancy. The decision not to use contraception can only be good for the couple who make it. Respect for the meaning and purpose of the marital sex in God's plan is high, usually lavishly rewarded. Couples that use contraception find it harder when they have a surprise pregnancy. As they've actively tried to stop sex causing conception, they find it harder to welcome unconditionally the child that's been conceived. So let's just look at two different methods of NFP. There's two different models of NFP. One's the ovulation method and the other's the symptothermal method. This is just two different types. There are more. So ovulation methods. This method is based on the observation and sensation of cervical mucus which becomes clear, wet and stretchy when the woman reaches ovulation. This is the best indicator of fertility and the Billings method's an example. The fertility care or Crichton method is based on the Billings method. A woman records her observations on a chart and is taught patterns how to show fertile and infertile times in her cycle. Symptothermal methods involve the woman taking a temperature every day, as well as observing cervical mucus and charting her cycle. Instructors of this method may observe other changes as in the cervix. There are other new technologies for checking fertility. These include Lady Comp, by Safe and Persona. And these are helpful and vary in success rates. So what about the Crichton or fertility care model of NFP? The Crichton model is one of the best models of natural fertility awareness. This model relies on biological indicators that are signs of human fertility. The model helps couples to see precisely what days it's possible to become pregnant during a women's cycle. This knowledge enhances the ability to achieve or avoid pregnancy. Uh, The model can be 99.5% effective for avoiding pregnancy. This makes it most effective method of avoiding pregnancy more than the contraceptive pill or barrier methods. When used to achieve pregnancy, the model is 76% effective in the first cycle and 98% within six months. The model is the most effective way to pinpoint ovulation. And the model can help couples discover alternative ways of intimacy other than genital intercourse. Many couples have mentioned sort of honeymoon effect after short periods of abstinence. Fertility becomes a shared responsibility between men and women, and this facilitates deeper communication between couples. This leads to a deeper level of care and respect between couples and the strengthening of their relationship. There are several markers in the crater model that help to show the depth of risk of fertility or miscarriage. Early treatment is the best option for combating infertility. The method teaches couples how to care for their fertility, helping them detect and prevent gynecological problems. The model helps couples to appreciate the value and mystery of fertility, self-knowledge. Many people are coming to realise the significance of protecting one, preserving one's fertility. As it's been reported that one in six couples have infertility problems in the UK, there are no harmful side effects of NFP from any synthetic hormones. Normal fertility is permitted in the way that it was designed. A familiarity with the natural rhythms of the bodies helps to generate self-respect and self-worth. As the Crichton model requires no medical intervention or monitoring, couples themselves learn how to become their own fertility experts. The model is inexpensive to learn about, certainly substantially cheaper than forms of contraception. As a method of family planning, it's not a method of contraception. The Crichton model can be adapted to every woman. It's able to be used whether a woman has regular, irregular or aneurysm and cycles or pre premenopausal, post-pill, breastfeeding. This model can be used in any situation during the reproductive life for a woman. Women are empowered because they learn so much about their fertility. This model is founded upon genuine scientific research. The method's easy to use. Biological markers are observed and tracked. Crichton model is combined with NAPRO technology and new reproductive science in order to monitor and treat infertility, miscarriage, Irregular cycles, hormone problems, premenstrual syndrome, ovarian cysts, unusual bleeding patterns and very painful periods too. So just this is a very basic explanation of biology. NFP is valuable as couples learn the basics of anatomy and physiology. Men who are virile are constantly fertile and produce sperm every day. The head of the sperm has the genetic material. The tail propels the sperm to try and reach the egg. A sperm is sensitive to heat, male genitalia are located on the outside of the body to help with better temperature regulation. Women, on the other hand, are infertile for most of the month. There is a limited time for an entire month when women are fertile. Despite this, many women resort to all types of hormones, devices, and barriers for the entire month. The main female re- reproductive organs are the uterus, tubes, and ovaries. The uterus is a thick muscle with a uterine cavity inside. The hormones which regulate the menstrual cycle are produced in the ovaries. The two fallopian tubes must be open in order for the egg or embryo to pass through. The cervix is at the bottom of the uterus, just above the vagina. This critical organ is where the cervical mucus is produced. and This is the main sign of a woman's fertility and must be present for pregnancy to occur. Uh, cervical mucus is similar to nasal mucus. Um, most women do not have a textbook cycle of 28 days with ovulation happening on day 14 of each cycle. Only about 13% of women actually ovulate on day 14 of the cycle. Cycles are usually short, less than 23 days. Regular, 23 to 38 days, or long, more than 38 days. The phases are the same for every phase. The pre-ovulation phase is when the woman has her menstrual bleed for three to seven days. These are followed by dry and fertile days, after this, a woman has a number of mucus days. These are fertile leading up to ovulation. Once ovulations occur, occurred, there's a sudden change in mucus production and the rest of the cycle is usually dry and infertile. The pre-peak phase can vary in length and the post-peak phase is usually stable and lasts about 13 or 14 days. The ovulation cycle also happens every month in the ovaries. At the start of the cycle, an egg is selected to grow and develop within a follicle and the hormone estrogen is produced. The follicle matures until it's ready for the egg to be released on the day of ovulation. Afterwards, the follicle collapses as it's empty. Then it begins to produce the hormone progesterone. Ovulation only happens on one day each cycle. If there are multiple ovulations, for example, non-identical twins, these occur in the same 24 hour time period. It is possible to check the day of ovulation by observing changes in the mucus pattern. The ovulation day or peak day is the last day of any mucus that's stretchy one inch or more. Clear in colour or lubricative sensation felt when wiping. An observational routine and recording system being taught to women in order to help them accurately observe throughout the month and pinpoint the day of ovulation. After ovulation, the egg only survives between 12 to 24 hours if it's not fertilised. Cervical mucus keeps sperm alive and acts like a a carrier for the sperm to pass through the cervix and helps to separate out abnormal sperm mucus is essential for wholesome fertility good mucus influences how long sperm will last with with it sperm can last for three to five days without it the sperm will die within hours the cervix works like a biological valve for most of the month there's a thick plug with a mucus high in the cervix but no mucus visible at the opening of the vagina During ovulation time, the cervix opens up and there's fertile mucus that exists in the cervix that's visible at the opening of the vagina. The visible mucus indicates fertile days. Fertility is dependent on three factors. Number one, good sperm. Number two, good eggs. Number three, good mucus. So fertility care practitioners can instruct couples how to chart patterns. If abnormal charting patterns exist, Practitioners can use NAPRO technology medical doctors to address and treat problems such as infertility or reproductive issues. Because early ovulation can, offer, can occur as a woman nears the menopause, women can get pregnant during her period. Women who are charting can detect this because they see the mucus much earlier in the cycle than they normally would. Late ovulation can occur when a woman has acute stress during the mucus build-up. If a couple wants to avoid pregnancy... Instructions are given about using the many dry and fertile days in the circle. If couples desire to achieve pregnancy, they focus in intercourse in course during the fertile mucus days. So this approach can be used very effectively to avoid, identify and monitor fertility. Well, you, you can also use natural fertility awareness with a contraceptive mentality, but that's that's another topic. If used to avoid, if used to avoid pregnancy, the, the crater model is 99.5% effective. This is more effective than both the pill and condoms. If used to achieve pregnancy, the effectiveness is 76% for the first attempted cycle and 98% for the six attempted cycles. This information is empowering for couples as they know whether they are fertile or infertile on any given day. Professional instruction is essential for proper use of the method. This m- model that's educating and insightful methods enables couples to begin to appreciate their fertility and the children they may result from its use. It also enables women and couples to be active participants in monitoring, preserving and protecting their fertility and reproductive health for the future. So let's compare natural fertility awareness with contraception. The oral contraceptive pill is a chemical that interferes with normal healthy fertility. So Janet Smith mentions in her CD, contraception why not the history of research into contraception it was discovered that an early contraceptive prototype for women for men physically shrunk the testes these tests were stopped immediately some tests were performed in women with some of the forms of the pill several women died in the process so they just lowered the dosage and put the drug on the mass market where you can see how misogynistic um, the oral contraceptive pill is with that particular example so The truth and lies of the language of the body. The oral contraceptive pill tricks the female body into thinking that it's pregnant. This is a form of lying with the body, saying is to alter and change the female menstrual cycle. One woman recently said if she knew it would take five years for a cycle to return to normal after using the pill, she'd have never have taken it in the first place. Confucius said, if words lose meaning, society will lose itself. If you buy contraceptives from the pharmacy... Often the receipt will not state exactly what you're purchasing, rather a euphemism is used. When an X-rated adult film is paid for in a hotel, it's not normally shown on the receipts so that the company does not fire you for misuse of expenses. Non-government organisations campaign for the promotion of contraception abortion um, under the agenda and pseudo-language of reproductive rights and services there's no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy. A pregnancy is wanted in the language of the body in the act of intercourse. There's always a possibility of conception. When things can't be called what they actually are, we can lose touch with reality and, and have a true bearing on reality. So Nicole Parker was a fertility care practitioner. She said, when a woman chemically withholds her fertility in the act of lovemaking, she psychologically and spiritually makes the act sterile. Since her fertility is a... Part of the essence of what makes her female, she is withholding an integral part of her femininity. The normal principle of surgery, never to disturb the function of normal structure, except as may be necessary for the effective treatment of a related disorder. Well, the Holy See wrote a charter of the rights of the family in 1983 and reiterated the right for families to decide on the spacing of births and the number of children to be born. This right is seen in the light of the objective moral order that excludes recourse to sterilisation, contraception or abortion. Planned Parenthood and the Holy See agree that both the right of families to decide on the number of children and the spacing of bath. So why is there so, such divergence on the practice of family planning between these two institutions? The answer is that contraception causes a division between babies and bonding, the two purposes of sex. Such a rupture damages the integrity of the union of two persons, leaves one open to, to use rather than love your partner. Rather than giving oneself fully, contraception is a lie that is a step back from the total gift of self and the intimacy of the marital act. In a word, contraception is a lie with the body. Contraception damages the intimacy between husband and wife, invites selfish behaviour into the marital act, and opens the door to greater infertility. Christopher Est writes that the real problem behind women's oppression is the failure of men to treat them properly, and therefore contraception is a sure way to keep women in chains. If a woman is constantly sexually available, for many men she becomes less attractive. At a pre-wedding party... Book was laid out for the guests to write down their thoughts on marriage typical to our age the majority of comments were negative guests have written that marriage institutionalized prostitution in the book saint augustine in his work against the Manichees, who deny procreation said that they made the bridal chamber a brothel perhaps this can happen when chastity within marriage is totally ignored and contraception is not deemed immoral because it's artificial After all, the church approves of many artificial drugs and interventions that men has invented. There have been no papal pronouncements on the use of paracetamol or vitamin tablets. Contraception prevents the natural functioning of the body and denies the purpose God created the act to have. No method of contraception is 100% effective to date. Contraception interrupts, sterilizes and works against conception, whereas NFP respects the body as God designs it and works with, with his plan. The saints and early church fathers were opposed to contraception. St. John Chrysotom regarded marriage as for companionship and procreation. St. Jerome said that a marital act was lustful unless open for the possibility of procreation. St. Augustine said, What food is to the health of man, intercourse is to the health of the race. And procreation of children is the first and natural and lawful reason for marriage. St. Albert said that every act frustrated in its essential and natural end is vain and evil. St. Francis de Sales saw procreation as the primary and principal end of marriage. At a Catholic marriage, couples make a vow before God and the witnesses, they will welcome children lovingly from God, and they give themselves completely to their spouse. Contraception contradicts these vows because the language of the body is not living these vows in the flesh. Couples that withhold their fertility from each other leave sterile acts that have negative influences on marriage. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira go through the motions of a giving act, but defraud it of its meaning. To use an analogy, contraception is like bulimia, whereas NFP is like dieting. Contraception binges on the acts and then purges out the effects. NFP abstains at certain times in order to avoid the outcome and is far healthier. The end never justifies the mean. Using NFP does not mean you have to have 25 children. Many people think that NFP is the only the rhythm method. This method was not successful at preventing pregnancy. So, some contraceptives are abortifacients. The pill has mechanisms that can cause a woman to have an abortion before she knows that she has conceived. One of the ways the pill acts is by the thinning of the uterus. The preventation of the implantation means the pill is both a contraceptive and an abortifacient. So, Randy Alcorn has written a book entitled. Does the birth control pill cause abortions? So the pill is damaging to the body. Let's consider how safe the oral contraceptive pill is. The pill affects the blood-cutting ability of the body, leading to a significant increase of risk of heart disease. Women on the pill are five times more likely to have a stroke than non-pill users, and three times more likely to have a heart attack. So according to pdrhealth.com, the side effects of the pill are depression, loss of menstrual periods, migraine, nausea, vomiting, water retention, weight gain, yeast infection, chest pain, coughing up blood, shortness of breath, crushing chest pain, heaviness, indicating possible heart attack, sudden partial, complete loss of vision, depending on a possible blood clot in the eye, breast lumps, indicating possible breast cancer or fibrocystic breast disease, severe pain or tenderness in the stomach, indicating possible liver tumour. The pill increases the risk of cancer in women of childbearing age when when taking hormonal contraceptives, teenagers are especially vulnerable to breast cancer risk because their breasts are growing, says the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute. And according to the Medical Association and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society of Great Britain, some versions of the pill increase the deep vein thrombrosis by five times. And the birth control pill increases a woman's chance of having breast cancer, cervical cancer, and liver cancer, 21 out of 23 studies of women who took the pill before their first child showed increased risk of breast cancer. Birth control pills meddle with a woman's immune system, making her more likely to contract certain STDs. The pill can cause more than 150 biological changes in a woman, according to the textbook of contraceptive practice. These can include gall bandit disease, headache, bleeding irregularities, ectopic pregnancy, yeast infection, changes to the curvature of the eye excessive hair growth in uh, growth in unusual places acne partial or complete loss of vision there are many effects of the pill that yet to be fully understood in the way they damage and upset the delicate yet beautiful aspects of womanhood hormonal contraceptives are not medication but steroids intended to disrupt normal functioning reproductive system the world health organization recognizes estrogen in combined oral contraceptive pills are as carcinogenic i.e. causing cancer women who took combined oral contraceptive pills or cac's before the age of 20 increased their risk of dying from breast cancer by 820 percent pharmaceutical companies do not want people to know about these effects because it would seriously dent their profits i think that's obvious so there's some research on showing how the pill ages the cervix as well research by professor eric Odeblad shows that the pill ages a woman's cervix twice as quickly. In other words, a 24-year-old 24 woman, 24 woman who's been on a pill since she was 12—it's not uncommon to happen. It's now married, wants to have children, may be shocked to find out that the age of us, she's got the age of her cervix is the age of a 36-year-old woman. So, Professor Eric Odeblad is professor of medical biophysics, University of Umea in Sweden. Um, or was, and he has done a lot of research into the cervix, described the profess- progressive ageing of the cervix, ascending um, metaplaza with diminution of crit-bearing areas and use- with the use of the pill. And Professor Eric said that complications arising from the use of the pill are very frequent. Infertility after its use for 7 to 15 years is a very serious problem. S-Crypts are sensible, sensitive to normal and cyclical stimulation, by natural estrogens, as the pill causes atrophy of these crypts fertility is impaired since the movement of sperm cells up the canal is reduced treatment is difficult you asked to write after three to 15 months of contraceptive pill use there's a greater loss of s crypt cells than can be replaced a pregnancy rejuvenates the cervix by two to three years but for each year the pill is taken the cervix ages an extra year it's is science that points towards the beauty of faith There are medical signs of the beauty of natural fertility awareness. The British Medical Journal reported on the efficacy of natural family planning. According to the World Health Organization, 93% of women everywhere can identify with the symptoms of NFP that distinguish between the fertile and infertile stages of the menstrual cycle. Um, Pregnancy rates depend on the motivation of couples. A study of 19,843 poor women in India had a pregnancy rate approaching zero. Zero. NFP is cheap, effective without side effects. And that's from the British Medical Journal in 1993. So also, a man's semen offers protection against preeclampsia. This is the third leading cause of women dying during childbirth. Preeclampsia affects about 7% of pregnant women. Women who are not, opposed, not exposed to a partner's sperm prior to pregnancy because the couples used condoms risk this problem. When the uterus is repeatedly exposed to sperm, a woman's immune system can get used to this foreign genetic material. Women can have an immune reaction if they do not have prior exposure. So women who use barrier methods have been having sex with a partner for less than more fun, four months prior to getting pregnant, had a 6.5-fold increased risk of getting preeclampsia compared with those who did not use barrier methods Have been in a sexual relationship for more than 12 months. So, Jesus says in the gospel that in marriage, the two become one flesh, in Mark 10, hormones from a man can be detected in a woman's bloodstream within hours of intercourse. And that's from the archives of sexual behavior. According to Reuters in London in 2002, hormones and semen have been shown to make women feel good. Women whose partners don't use condoms are less likely to feel down. Hormones and semen may help ease female depression. Scientists at the State University of New York expressed that mood-altering hormones are absorbed through the vagina and make women feel good. So sperm is good for a woman's body. Man's seminal fluid has at least two dozen ingredients, such as estrogens, follicle-stimulating hormones, luteinizing hormones, testosterone, transforming growth beta factor, and several prostaglandins. During intercourse, the woman's body absorbs these. Researchers have shown how they help the health of the woman, help mature her uterus, and even protect the mammary gland from cancer. And the woman body becomes used to the, to the man's sperm as well. So this is a clear argument against contraception. So contraception does not deliver what it promises. The Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm of Planned Parenthood, states that there's no correlation between better access to contraception and lower abortion rates. The British Medical Journal showed in 10 studies worldwide the widespread availability of contraception and abortion made no appreciable difference to pregnancy or abortion rates. Even Alfred Kinsey, Kinsey, who was a linchpin of the sexual revolution, realised at the risk, he said exactly this, at the risk of sounding repetitious, I'd remind the group we found the highest frequency of induced abortion in the group which, in general, most frequently used contraceptives. So in other words, increased contraception does not lead to a decrease in abortion. Last year, there was a 17.4 pregnancy rate for condom users over a 12-month period, but that includes pregnancies for women in their late 30s and 40s. Teenagers are another story. 23.2% 23.2% who rely on condoms will become pregnant in a year. as teenagers. Condom failure rates for STD were um, rates are worse. An article in the Journal of Sexually Transmitted Diseases by Fitch and Al said that none of the studies they showed showed any STD risk reaction for condom users, not even for those who always use condoms. So the pill damages the environment. Now, it's a lot about the environment today, but you don't often hear this story. The contraceptive pill is a major cause of male infertility in the West and is also polluting the environment, according to a recent document by the International Federation of Catholic Doctors. An essential issue that's becoming increasingly urgent is the presence of hormones in drinking water, mainly caused by the pill. We have to take notice of the fact that over the last 50 years, spermatozoa levels in men have dropped by 50%. The pill causes metabolic changes, psychiatric disturbances, disturbances in sexual behaviour. The possible possibility of malformations in children during or after use of the pill should also be taken into consideration. And according to Pedro Jose Maria Simon Cast- castelli President of the International Federation of Catholic Medical Doctors, the pill has for some years had devastating effects on the environment by releasing tonnes of hormones into nature through female urine, as in the chemicals go through a woman, go through her body, and then go into the into the water system. We, we don't know the full effects of how that affects the water system. And environmental groups have yet to fully realise the damage that oral contraceptives may be doing to our ecosystem. The unintended consequences of synthetic, anabolic, carcinogenic, non-biodegradable sex steroids, drugs, are still being studied. And these steroids are also known as the pill. So what about the myth of overpopulation? The overpopulation myth has been around for quite a long time. It has never been true. Malthus recommended killing the poor to save resources for the rich. He blamed medical advances for causing a surplus in society. Malthus said all the children born beyond what should be required to keep up the population to this level. Most necessarily perish unless room be made for them by the death of grown persons. To act consistently, therefore, we should should facilitate instead of foolishly and vainly endeavouring to impede the operations of nature in producing this mortality. If we dread the too frequent visitation of the horrid form of famine, we should sedulously encourage other forms of destruction which we compel nature to use. Instead of recommending cleanliness to the poor, we should encourage contrary habits. In our towns, we should make the streets narrower, crowd more people into houses, and court the return of the plague. In the country, we should build our villages near stagnant pools, particularly encourage settlements in all Martian, unwholesome situations. Paul Ehrlich of Stanford University wrote The Population Bomb in 1968, perpetuating the myth that human reproduction has doomed us all. Ehrlich predicted famines the decades uh, after publication of his book. The battle to feed all of humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked on now. The United Nations Fund for Population Activities receives hundreds of millions of dollars every year to reduce the number of people in developing countries. So Jacqueline Casson, in her book, The War Against Population, successfully debunks the population myth with considerable style. She shows the economies and ideologies of population control that have been generated. Mark Steen has argued, once populations lose the primal instruments to reproduce, they lose the will to defend themselves, create wealth and generally improve society. And the biologist Francis P. Feliste has shown that all the people in the world could be put into the state of Texas, forming one giant city with a population density out of many existing cities and leaving the rest of the world empty. Each man, woman and child in the 1984 world population should be given more than 1,500 square feet of land space in such a city. The average home in the US ranges from 1,400 to 1,800 square feet. If one third of the space of the city were divided to parks and one third to industry, each family could still occupy a single-storey dwelling of an average US size. In a similar vein, R.L. Sassone has calculated there will be standing room for the entire population of the world within one quarter of the area of Jacksonville, Florida. So if overpopulation is not happening, then what about the scourge of AIDS? Surely we need contraception in order to combat that deadly disease. Why doesn't the Catholic Church help with this issue? So now we're going to talk about responsible parenthood. Paul the in Humano Vitae called for Responsible Parenthood. A baby is the physical embodiment of the couple's love. For couples, their love is so strong that after nine months, they gave it a name. The gift of sexual love and procreation is the ability to co-create an eternal, immortal soul. Into This is something the angels do not possess. To be able to co-create somebody that was not there is truly incredible. But as Spider-Man knows, with great power comes great responsibility fertility is not a disease that needs to be suppressed or feared it's a normal aspect of health which ought to be understood treasured and respected by men and women it's good to be fertile normal and healthy at present many have been lied to about what reproductive health actually means the phrase has been used to promote poor choices that are destructive personally and culturally such practices such as sterilization artificial reproduction contraception cohabitation premarital sex are part of the culture of death and encourage single parenthood divorce abortion homosexuality family domestic violence and social disintegration father frank bravone once stated the quest for ethical medical practice in fact a spiritual battle between life and death christ gave us his body that others may live abortion supporters cling to their bodies that others may die abortion teachers want to sacrifice the other person that i might live but jesus's life was given up in self-giving life-giving love einstein said there were two ways to live your life Either nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. St. Paul is more inclined to favour the latter position because God, by the, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's Ephesians 3.20. For this, we should give God glory forever and ever. The safe and ethical transition from generation to generation will help us to keep singing his praises so that he may find faith on earth when he comes again. And in his letter to artist, John Paul II wrote, All men and women are entrusted with the task of crafting their own life. At a certain sense, they are to make of it a work of art, a masterpiece. You may not be a fine artist or a performer, but you are the artist of your soul, working under a great master. With this great master, you can co-create to bring more souls into the world. So we're, we're going to have a look at a couple of appendixes. In the book, The Good Marriage by Judith Wallerstein, it says... There are nine tasks of marriage. Number one, to detach emotionally from the families of childhood, to commit to the relationship, build new connections with the extended families. Number two, to build togetherness through intimacy and to expand the sense of self, to include the other. With each individual carves out an area of autonomy. Identification with the other provides the basis for bonding. But within the new family unity, there must be room for autonomy. Otherwise, there's no true equality. Number three, to expand the circle to include children, taking the roles of parenthood from infancy to adulthood, while maintaining the emotional richness of marriage and keeping the balance between raising the children and nurturing the couple's relationship. Number four, to confront the inevitable developmental challenges and the unpredictable adversities of life, including illness, death, and natural disasters, in ways that enhance the relationship, despite stress and suffering. Each crisis carries within it the seeds of destruction, as well as the possibility of renewed strength. Number five, to make the relationship safe for expressing difference, anger and conflicts, all of which are inevitable in any marriage. All marriages involve love and anger, connectedness and disruption. The the task is to find ways to resolve differences without exploiting each other, being violent or giving way to one's heart's desire. Number six, to establish an imaginative and pleasurable sex life, creating a sexual relationship that meets the needs and fantasies of both people requires time time love and sensitivity the stresses of work and family life changes in sexual desire over time mean that this aspect of marriage requires special protection in order to flourish to share laughter and humor and to keep interests outside the marriage alive in the relationship number seven a good marriage is alternatively playful and serious sometimes flirtatious sometimes difficult and cranky but always full of life number eight to provide the emotional nur- nurturance and encouragement that all adults need throughout their lives, love, sympathy and restoration of battered self-esteem, especially in t- today's isolating urban communities and the high pressure workplaces. It's hugely important in the relationship. And number nine, to sustain the innermost core of the relationship by holding on to the early idealizations while realizing that one is growing older, remembering the images and fantasies of courtship and early marriage, maintaining a joyful glow over a lifetime. Let's go on to appendix to see. Thomas More's advice to those married or engaged. Here, Thomas More gives us excellent advice and guidance for holiness and love and marriage. More in, Thomas Moore instructs on how to one's love one's life. St. Paul here exhorted men to love their wives so tenderly that they should be of the mind and bring them to heaven they could find in their hearts to die for them, as Christ had died for Christian people to bring them to heaven, and that men to that extent. They bring their wives to the glorious bliss of heaven. They should bring them up in faith and hope and charity, in good works like God had washed the church of all Christian people. And Thomas More tells us some advice for those interested in marriage. And so, my friend, if you desire to marry, first observe what kind of marriage the lady has. See to her mother is revered for the excellence of her character, which is sucked in and expressed by a tender and impressionable little girl. Next, see to this what sort of personality she has, how agreeable she, she is. Let her maidenly countenance be calm and without severity, but her modesty bring blushes to her cheeks. Let her glances restrained. Let her have no roving eye. Let her be just finishing her education or ready to begin it immediately. Armed with this learning, she would not yield to pride and prosperity, nor to grief and distress. Even those misfortunes strike her down. And that's from Two Candidates, How to Choose a Wife, poem number 143. So, Appendix D, what, what can the government do to support marriage? This is from Norman Wells, who was the director of Family Education Trust. So the government can recognise the important marriage within the tax and benefit system. They can reverse policies divine to encourage dual-income couples. They can abandon the pretense that all types of relationships are equal. They can recognise the family exists as a foundational institution of society, not as an agency of the state. And they can res- respect the authority of parents to bring up their children and view children as members of family rather than as autonomous individuals. So what are some definitions of love? Appendix E. Sophocles, the great Greek playwright, wrote, one word frees us of all the weight and pain in life, and that word is love. Mark Twain said love is the irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. Margaret Walker, mold-breaking Black American poet, says love stretches your heart, makes you big inside. Romeo, standing beneath Juliet's balcony just before she has seen him, said, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It's the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief. A Tosca jumps to her death from the ramparts of the castle San Angelo after her lover, Mario has been shot by Scarpia's troops. Nicholas Sparks, the American author, wrote, love is more than three words mumble before bedtime. Love is sustained by action, a pattern of devotion and the things we do for each other every day. Woody Allen was a little bit more cynical. He said, to love is to suffer, to avoid suffering one must not love, but then must suffer is from not loving. Therefore, to love is to suffer, not to love is to suffer, to suffer is to suffer. To be happy is to love, to be happy then is to suffer, but suffering makes one unhappy. Therefore, to be unhappy, one must love or love to suffer or suffer from too much happiness. <laughs> Erica Young, the American writer and feminist, said, love is everything that it's crapped up to be. That's why people are so cynical about it. It really is worth fighting for, risking everything for. And the trouble is you don't risk everything, you risk even more. And Ogden Nash said, to keep your marriage brimming with love, in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it, when you're right, shut up. So we've just got a few quotes from um, Saints, and then we're going to finish out this um, marriage podcast. So quotes from the saints about marriage saint baptist mary vianney saint john vianney in a sermon said husband and wives should live peacefully in their union of marriage they should be mutually edifying to each other pray for one another bear patiently with one another's faults encourage virtue another by good example and follow the holy sacred rules of their state remembering they are children of the saints and consequently they ought not to behave like pagans who are not happiness knowing the one true God." saint robert Bellarmine, in his letter to his niece in 1614 said the wife must love her husband as if there is no other man in the world, in the same way as husband should love her as if no other woman existed. St John Chrysostom in a homily said, your wife is God's creation. If you reproach her, you're not condemning her, but him who made her. And St John Chrysostom also in a homily said, but one's partner for life, the mother of one's children, the source of one's every joy, should never be fettered with fear and threats, but with love and patience. What kind of marriage can there be when the wife is afraid of her husband? What sort of satisfaction could a husband himself have if he lives with his wife as if she were a slave and not with a woman by her free will? St. Vincent Ferris said in the sermon, as long as the wedding cake lasts, the man will be infatuated. But afterwards, he will come to herself and said, that foolish woman wishes to be the master. And then the squabbling will begin at home. St. Gregory of Nazianzus, in his first poem, said marriage is the key to the control of the desires. It's a seal of unshakable friendship. It is drink from a hidden spring. Strangers cannot taste it. It bubbles up, yet cannot be drawn from the outside. Those who are united in the flesh form one soul and purify their religion by their reciprocal love. St. Francis de Sales, in his works, said let married people remain on the cross of obedience, which is marriage. Is the best and most practical cross of them and the, one of the most demanding, that they're almost continual activity and occasions of suffering are more frequent in the state than any other. Do not desire, therefore, descend from the cross under any pretext whatsoever. Since God has placed you there, remain there always. And the next three quotes are from St. Francis de Sales in The Devout Life. He says, if two pieces of wood are carefully glued together, their union will be so close that it's easier to break them into some fresh place than where they were joined. And so united man and wife, it's easier to severe soul and body than these two. He also said, for since the bringing of children into the world is the principal end of marriage. Do anything, to do anything in order to prevent the accomplishment of this is always mortal sin. Thirdly, he said, there is no union so precious, so fruitful between husband and wife as that of holy devotion, which should mutually lead and sustain each other. Well, you can find a lot of natural family planning resources on... The Internet, NFP Outreach, One More Soul, Pope Paul Sixth Institute, Family of the Americas, Couple to Couple League, Billings Observation, and um, Lineker Center, Life Fertility. Um, several books by Randy Alcorn, Does the Birth Control Pill Cause Abortion? Why um, NFP by Jason Evert? Um, Contraception, Why Not? CD by Janet Smith. These are all um, really good resources to find out more about NFP. And this is what Pope John Paul II actually said about contraception. Contraception is wrong because it's a denial of God. And this is what he said about the issue. He said, at the origin of every human person, there's a creative act of God. No man comes into existence by chance. He's always the subject of God's creative love. From this fundamental of truth of faith and reason it follows, that the procreative capacity inscribed in human sexuality and is the deepest truth a cooperation with God's creative power and it also follows that man and women are not arbiters not the masters of the same capacity called as they are in it and through it be participants of God's creative decision when therefore through contraception married couples removed from the exercise of conjugal sexuality its potential procreative capacity they claim a power which belongs solely to God the power to decide in the final analysis the coming into existence of the human person They assume the qualification of not being cooperators in God's creative power, but the ultimate depositories of the source of human life. In this perspective, contraception is to be judged objectively, so profoundly unlawful as to never be for any reason justified. To think or to say the contrary is equal to maintaining that in human life, situations may arise in which it's lawful not to recognise God as God. So the rejection of contraception, according to Pope John Paul II, is equivalent to refusing God himself the obedience of our intelligence, equivalent to denying the Catholic concept of revelation, to hold out for exceptions on contraception as if God's grace were not sufficient is a form of atheism. He said that on September the 17th, 1983. And he said, what is being questioned by rejecting that teaching is the very idea of the holiness of God. That was September, November 12th, 1988. Well, thank you so much,